Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Four men have been charged in connection to the deaths of 53 suspected illegal immigrants, two of them facing life in prison or the death penalty if convicted. Fed Chair Jerome Powell warning that economic growth will likely slow down. This while a new poll finds that Americans are more pessimistic about the economy. The Supreme Court rules on West Virginia versus the Environmental Protection Agency. It holds that the agency does not have broad authority to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants. The U.S. Supreme Court today imposed limits on the Environmental Protection Agency's or EPA's authority in a case against the state of West Virginia. The court says the agency cannot issue regulations on power plants that would lead to a national shift in energy policy, not at least without Congress. The agency had tried to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from existing coal and gas-fired power plants under the Obama-era Clean Air Act. But the court found that this kind of action would affect issues of broad importance and societal impact, saying that scale of regulation kicks into gear the major questions legal doctrine, which requires congressional authorization. Critics say the ruling will undermine President Biden's plans to tackle climate change, and the court's three liberal justices dissented. The six conservative justices were in the majority in the decision, penned by Chief Justice John Roberts, who wrote, A decision of such magnitude and consequence rests with Congress itself. The ruling is likely to have implications beyond the EPA, as it raises new legal questions about other big decisions made by federal agencies. The Supreme Court ruled today that the Biden administration properly ended a Trump-era immigration policy. That policy forced some U.S. asylum seekers to wait in Mexico. The justices' 5-4 decision came in a case about the Remain in Mexico policy under President Trump. Chief Justice John Roberts wrote the decision. He was joined by fellow conservative Justice Brett Kavanaugh, as well as the court's three liberal justices, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan. President Joe Biden suspended the program on his first day in office in January 2021, but lower courts ordered it reinstated in response to a lawsuit from Republican-led Texas and Missouri. The current administration has sent far fewer people back to Mexico than did the Trump administration. The legal fight was about whether immigration authorities had to send people to Mexico or whether they could release them into the U.S. while they awaited their hearings. The Supreme Court rules in favor of two doctors challenging convictions on drug distribution charges for overprescribing opioids. The justices ruled unanimously in favor of Dr. Xu Liu Ruan and Dr. Shaquille Khan. The two were sentenced to 21 and 25 years in prison, respectively, in separate criminal cases. Justice Stephen Breyer argued that the doctors' trials were unfair. That's because jurors were not required to consider whether they had good faith reasons to prescribe the opioids. Breyer wrote that for doctors who have authority to prescribe controlled substances, prosecutors need to prove they knowingly or intentionally acted in an unauthorized manner. The two cases have been returned for further proceedings in lower courts. A group of students at George Washington University are trying to get Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas fired from his teaching position. They are frustrated by the role he played during overturning Roe v. Wade. Justice Thomas has lectured at George Washington University since 2011. According to the university, he is set to teach a constitutional law seminar this fall. In his Concurring opinion in overturning 1973's Roe v. Wade, Thomas suggested the high court should also reconsider cases that were decided by the same logic. That includes a 2003 case that decriminalized consensual gay sex and the 2015 case that established the constitutional right to gay marriage. The suggestion that the high court should revisit these decisions motivated some students at the university to circulate an online petition calling for Thomas's removal from the law faculty. The school's chapter of college Republicans has condemned the effort. They argue that college students are meant to be exposed to ideas that are different from their own. The school released a statement saying Thomas has academic freedom and neither his class nor his employment will be canceled. Four men have been charged in connection to the tragedy that left 53 suspected illegal immigrants dead. Two of them are facing life in prison or the death penalty if convicted. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg reports.
According to the Department of Justice, 64 people suspected of entering the U.S. illegally were found inside the abandoned tractor-trailer in San Antonio, Texas on Monday. 48 of them were dead. The death count is now up to 53 after five of the survivors passed away in the hospital. The driver of the vehicle, 45-year-old Omero Zamorano Jr., was arrested on Wednesday. He is charged with one count of alien smuggling resulting in death for his alleged involvement. Zamorano was identified as the truck's driver after Laredo Sector Border Patrol provided Homeland Security investigations agents with surveillance footage of the truck driving through an immigration checkpoint. The driver could be seen wearing a black shirt with stripes and a hat. Agents confirmed Zamorano matched the individual from the surveillance footage and was wearing the same clothing. Officials say he tried to slip away by pretending to be one of the victims. Another man in communication with him, 28-year-old Christian Martinez, is also in custody. Martinez is charged with one count of conspiracy to transport illegal aliens resulting in death. According to court documents, a search warrant was used to investigate the driver's cell phone. The phone showed the two communicating throughout the smuggling event. Both face life in prison or the death penalty if convicted. Prosecutors say two other men were found at the San Antonio address where the truck was registered. Both are citizens of Mexico and were arrested for firearm-related offenses. The two men were determined to be in the U.S. illegally. They are both charged with one count of possession of a weapon by an alien illegally in the U.S. If convicted, both defendants face up to 10 years in prison. In response to the tragedy, Texas Governor Greg Abbott says state troopers will set up more truck checkpoints on highways. He did not say how many or how many trucks would be stopped, but did say they won't be placed at points of entry. He didn't say where exactly the checkpoints will be in order to surprise the smugglers. Abbott is calling for President Biden to build back Trump's border wall and reinstate other Trump-era border policies. Under President Trump, we saw the fewest illegal crossings in decades. Under President Biden, we see all-time record highs. It's time for President Biden to reinstate the strategies that were put in place by President Trump that proved so effective. Specifically, Abbott mentioned ending catch and release and keeping and enforcing Title 42 and remain in Mexico. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell says economic growth will likely slow down as deglobalization pressures build. In other words, as nations break up into competing geopolitical and economic camps. For example, nations taking sides over the conflict in Ukraine. NTD's Jessica Beatty has more. Fed Chair Jerome Powell Wednesday suggested that fighting inflation would lead to an inevitable trade-off, slower growth. He said since the pandemic hit, the world economy has been driven by very different forces. If what we see, for example, is the redivision of the world into competing geopolitical and economic camps and a reversal of globalization, that certainly sounds like lower productivity and lower growth. That's certainly a possible outcome, and I think probably to some extent a likely outcome. He made the remarks at the European Central Bank's annual policy forum in Portugal. The Fed's mandate is to keep prices stable and achieve maximum employment. Powell said the aim of the Fed's rate hikes is to bring down demand in the U.S. economy to align it more with supply. Right now, supply and demand are really out of balance in many parts of the U.S. economy, labor market being a big example of that. Businesses still struggling to find workers. The U.S. unemployment rate's at 3.6 percent. But there are around two job vacancies for every job seeker. We need to get them better in balance so that inflation can come down. And that's the aim of what we're doing. Americans are increasingly pessimistic about the U.S. economy. 81% describe the economy as poor, including 67% of Democrats. That's according to a new survey from the Associated Press and NORC Center for Public Affairs Research. And that's hurting President Biden's approval rating. AP White House reporter Josh Boak helped with the survey. Sentiment among Democrats, the people that are supposed to be backing him politically, they feel terrible about the economy. And they don't feel as good about his handling of the economy. Only 14% of Americans say things are going in the right direction. That's down from 21% in May and 29% in April. Overall, the poll found that 39% of Americans approve of Biden's overall job performance, while 60% disapprove. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. 
New economic data shows inflation doesn't appear ready to decrease. The Commerce Department reports the monthly personal consumption expenditures price index was 6.3 percent for the year that ended in May. That's the same as the reading from April, but down slightly from March. However, analysts say the fact that consumer prices held steady in May indicates inflation has remained flat despite the central bank's attempts to cool the U.S. economy. This report comes less than a month after another inflation gauge, the Consumer Price Index, showed year-over-year prices shot up by nearly 9 percent. That was a high not seen in 40 years. And on religious freedom, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle came together on Wednesday to call for religious freedom around the globe. What challenges does the world face, and what is being done to address them? Entity's Iris Tao has more. Key voices in Washington and around the globe are speaking out on the right to believe. The United States has a deep and abiding commitment to protecting and promoting religious freedom for all people everywhere. The International Religious Freedom Summit in D.C. this week also brings together lawmakers from across the political spectrum, from Speaker Nancy Pelosi is a foundational human right, to Republican Senator Marco Rubio. The United States has a critical role to play in shining a light on religious freedom violations worldwide, and we're working to make that happen. And among those countries violating religious rights, China was called out the most citing the bipartisan forced labor prevention act that just took effect last week senator rubio says the u.s cannot continue turning a blind eye to abuses by the communist regime this new law will change that helping to ensure that americans are no longer complicit in the chinese communist party's genocide of predominantly muslim ethnic groups in xinjiang and former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo urges world leaders to see through the propaganda and recognize the abuses happening in totalitarian states. Behind walls of prisons and persecuted before our very eyes in places like China, Iran, Cuba, and North Korea are tens of thousands of people whose only crime is to worship God in their own way. Others shed light on what's happening behind those prison bars. Think of forced organ harvesting the Falun Gong practitioners and others. And David Alton, a member of the UK Parliament, calls out China for forcibly harvesting organs from prisoners of conscience. The London-based China Tribunal unanimously concluded in 2019 that this practice has been and is still happening in China on a significant scale. But China also on the United Nations Human Rights Council, it's a sick joke. This is truly extraordinary that we have allowed these things to occur. On Thursday, this summit will feature sessions specifically focused on China's forced organ harvesting and its persecution of the Falun Gong spiritual group. Survivors and families of the persecuted will be sharing their stories. Iris Tao, NTD News. Coming up, this 4th of July weekend could set records for travel, and high gas prices aren't expected to dampen travel by car. Find out what to expect if you're taking a road trip or traveling via air this weekend. And it took the 9-11 Memorial Museum 16 years to get a photo of one of the 9-11 victims. Now all the victims that died in the attacks have a photo on the memorial wall. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. Cornell University professor Randy Wayne says the university library has removed a bust of Abraham Lincoln and a plaque with the Gettysburg Address. Wayne says he noticed a few weeks ago that both the bust and plaque were no longer on display. He said the library removed the display after someone complained. That's according to the higher education news website College Fix. Lincoln's Gettysburg Address is one of the most revered and widely quoted speeches in American history. His bust and the bronze plaque have been on display in Cornell University's library since 2013. In the wake of the George Floyd incident in the summer of 2020, a number of statues of American historical figures have been attacked or defaced. A judge has found that former President Trump is no longer in contempt of a New York court for failing to comply with the state attorney general's subpoena. The subpoena stems from the attorney general's investigation into the Trump organization. A New York Supreme Court judge said he reviewed additional documents submitted by Trump. He said those, along with other conditions needed to lift the contempt order, were sufficient in making his decision. 
The other conditions included Trump's payment of a $110,000 fine, as well as sworn statements on the Trump organization's handling of the documents. New York AG Letitia James's office has been investigating the Trump organization and reviewing its financial statements for more than two years. As part of that investigation, Trump was held in civil contempt in April for failing to comply with a subpoena for documents. New York State and New York City sued 10 distributors of gun components to stop the sale of ghost guns. Authorities say they cannot trace and regulate ghost guns like traditional guns. New York City filed a lawsuit against five online gun retailers that are illegally selling and delivering ghost guns components to addresses here in this city. Gun violence is impacting New Yorkers every day. It claims lives, and ghost guns don't discriminate, killing young, old, black, white, Asian, Latino. It's an equal opportunity death weapon. In separate lawsuits, officials accused the companies of creating a public nuisance by selling unfinished gun frames and receivers. That's because buyers can build those into finished firearms, and these ghost gun customers might otherwise be ineligible to buy ordinary weapons. Of the companies being sued by the state and city, Indie Guns said it had no immediate comment and did not yet review the complaint. The other companies did not immediately respond to requests for comment. New York City police have this year recovered 175 ghost guns in arrests through mid-June on pace to exceed last year's 263 total. Just 17 were recovered in arrests in 2018. City officials said this month that overall gun arrests are at a 28-year high. City and state officials are also scrambling to respond to last week's Supreme Court decision. It struck down a century-old New York law that strictly limited the carrying of guns outside the home. Gun rights groups say owners of firearms who have a concealed carry permit in California have had their data leaked. It comes after California Attorney General Rob Bonta launched a firearms dashboard portal. According to gun news outlet The Reload, personal information was leaked online for at least 2,100 people with gun licenses who live in Los Angeles County. Bonta announced a dashboard portal was to serve as an information hub between gun owners for transparency purposes. The National Rifle Association said users of the California dashboard were able to download information that identified holders of concealed carry weapons, including their names, addresses, and dates of birth when the portal launched on Monday. By Tuesday, the California Department of Justice appeared to have removed the dashboard portal from its website. The agency told Reload and PC Magazine that it is investigating an exposure of individuals' personal information connected to the DOJ firearms dashboard and that any unauthorized release of personal information is unacceptable. After 16 years, the 9-11 Memorial Museum in New York is finally able to get photographs of all the victims. They just placed the final photo of a victim on their memorial wall. Here are the details. The 9-11 Memorial Museum on Wednesday placed a photograph of 9-11 victim Antonio Dorsey Pratt on the memorial wall. For years, an empty space marked with an image of an oak leaf had held the spot for him. What we're doing today really marks the culmination of a process that began almost 16 years ago when we began work on the just even imagining what the 9-11 Memorial Museum would be and what it would contain. On September 11th, 2001, Pratt was working for Cantor Fitzgerald Fort Food Service on the 101st floor of the North Tower. Pratt's picture is from a snapshot with a group of co-workers taken before he worked in the North Tower. So in the case of Antonio Dorsey Pratt, the image that we got is a snapshot of him with a group of co-workers at another um, employment location, not Forte Foods. So it was well previous to 2001. Pratt's friend provided the picture to Voices Center for Resilience. This is an organization started after 9-11 and dedicated to remembering the victims. This is a chapter in the sense that we were able to provide the last missing photograph uh, for the exhibit, the in, memor in memoriam exhibit, but we'll continue to work with families if they want to share additional photographs for the larger collection. We've collected about 87,000 photographs that we've shared with the museum uh, for the exhibit. The memorial exhibition honors the 2,977 individuals killed in the September 11th terrorist attacks in 2001. 
Woody Williams, the last surviving holder of the World War II Medal of Honor, died recently. He became a hero for his bravery in a war in the Pacific. Herschel Woody Williams was the last of the 473 American servicemen who received the Medal of Honor in World War II. The elderly man died on Wednesday at the age of 98. Williams Foundation announced the news on social media. Before he passed away, he was with his family at a veterans medical center in West Virginia that bears his name. Williams used to be a Marine Corporal. He fought in the Battle of Iwo Jima in the Pacific against Japan in 1945. That same year, then-President Harry Truman awarded him the Congressional Medal of Honor. This represented the nation's highest award for military valor. After the war, Williams remained in the Marine Corps, serving a total of 20 years. He then spent 33 years with the Veterans Administration. The Navy once commissioned a mobile base seagoing ship in his name. His last public appearance was at a Veterans Day event on Memorial Day. The 4th of July weekend may set a road trip record. AAA says more Americans will hit the road over this Independence Day holiday weekend than ever before. And if you're flying, expect busy and packed airports. Here's what experts say could cause some of the pandemonium. Prices are sizzling hot at the gas pump and soaring for air travel. But those high costs aren't expected to keep Americans home this July 4th holiday weekend. Prices have gone kind of through the roof, but we're still looking at traveler numbers that will be approaching where they were in 2019. AAA predicts 42 million Americans will take a road trip of 50 miles or more. That's more than ever. And despite gas prices hitting a record in June. And if you're traveling by plane this Independence Day weekend, skies will also be a frenzy. AAA predicting 3.55 million people will travel by air. Still, that's only 7% of expected weekend travelers. That's the lowest share since 2011, when the economy was still rebuilding from the Great Recession. AAA says the lowest average airfare is about 14% more expensive this year compared to 2021 and getting ready for potentially long wait times at the airport. If you're traveling for the 4th of July, expect things to be chaotic and try to hedge your bets. Travel experts from Scott's Cheap Flights say it's a sign of a busy, chaotic, expensive summer travel season. There are fewer planes in the sky. You know, security lines are stretched both at home and abroad, and folks are really struggling to serve everyone equally. And it's not just travel that's more expensive. Your July 4th barbecue may also cost you more this year. That's according to an annual survey from the American Farm Bureau Federation, which found the average cost is up 17% this year. A bit of good news for people planning to hit the road for the 4th of July holiday weekend. Gas prices in the U.S. are falling. According to AAA, the national average for a gallon of regular is nearly $4.86. That's about a nine-cent dip from last week. Analysts say lower oil prices and the fear of a potential recession are helping the cost of gas drop. And they say that trend may continue for at least the next few days. AAA predicts close to 48 million Americans will travel at least 50 miles from home between June 30th and July 4th. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, Ukrainian troops are training in Britain. They are learning to operate multiple launch rocket systems, which the British government is supplying to help counter Russian artillery. And Argentina's farmers are turning away from growing wheat and looking to grow soy. But what impact could that have on the global food markets? Stay tuned for more in just a minute. Russian forces have withdrawn from Ukraine's Snake Island, its strategic outpost in the Black Sea. Ukraine is hailing the move as a victory, and Russia says it shows Moscow is not seeking to hinder the UN. The agency is organizing a corridor for the export of Ukrainian agricultural produce. Russia has occupied Snake Island since the first day of its invasion. The head of the Ukrainian president's office wrote on Twitter that there were no more Russian troops left on Snake Island. The Ukrainian Southern Military Command posted an image on Facebook. It appears to be the island with at least five huge columns of black smoke rising above it. The command described this as an assault by missiles and artillery. Russia's defense ministry confirmed Russian troops have withdrawn from Snake Island. They called it a goodwill gesture and said the troops had fulfilled the tasks assigned to them. 
hundreds of Ukrainian troops have completed military training in Britain. That includes training on the Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS. The British government is supplying these weapons to help counter Russian artillery tactics. Hundreds of Ukrainian soldiers have received military training in the UK. More than 450 troops were taught how to use a range of weapons by the British Army, including the multiple launch rocket systems, which Britain is supplying to Ukraine. Media were invited to Salisbury Plain in southern England, where the exercises were taking place. The training is part of a wide-ranging international support package. Following Russia's invasion, Captain James Oliphant of the Royal Artillery was involved in a three-week-long training of the MLRS. At the end of the day, it's, it's another component to their, um, their, their orbit, and it's a force multiplier. Um, because it's a track vehicle, their rocket systems are wheeled, it's going to give them more, more mobility, which is going to aid in their survivability. Uh, and naturally, it's uh, uh, an ammunition that's able to punch out to 84 kilometres. During a surprise visit to Kyiv this month, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced a separate training operation for Ukrainian forces with the potential to train up to 10,000 soldiers every 120 days. And on Wednesday, the British government announced it will provide another $1.2 billion of military support to Ukraine, including air defence systems, uncrewed aerial vehicles and new electronic warfare equipment. Meanwhile, back on Salisbury Plain, British trainers praised the attitude of their Ukrainian counterparts. They are extremely keen to learn, um, and we have had, had them for long days. Um, we've been teaching them from 8 in the morning till 6 at night, seven days a week for, for the whole period that they've been here. Um, their, their appetite at the beginning was, as you can imagine, extremely high and very needy. Um, but as they've become more, more attuned and accustomed to the, um, being able to operate this system, that's, that's started to calm down. And they're now in a position where the battery commander himself is, is now exercising his troops under his own doctrine and tactics. In the dusty fields of Argentina's breadbasket farmlands, farmers are worried about wheat. Prolonged dry weather has stalled planting of the grain, while spiking fertilizer costs and political uncertainty over export rules are making some switch to soy. Drought is only the beginning of worries for wheat growers like Juan Francisco Aregui in Argentina's breadbasket farmlands. This season for wheat is complicated. Standing in a dusty field that hasn't seen rain in two months, Aregui and other farmers are also concerned about spiking fertilizer costs and political uncertainty over export rules, a situation that is leading farmers in the world's sixth top wheat exporter to switch to soy. In our particular case, we'll sow more soy because of the simple reason that its sowing cost is a lot lower and it has less risks attached. The costs of corn and wheat are bigger. That's bad news for global grain markets still reeling from Russia's invasion of Ukraine, both major wheat exporters that have snarled global supplies and pushed up prices. Many hope markets like Argentina, which had a record 2021-22 wheat harvest of some 22.4 million metric tons, can step in to fill the shortfall. But that looks unlikely with a sharp production drop expected. Christian Russo is the head agronomist at the Rosario Grains Exchange, which has warned about the worst wheat planting conditions in 12 years. Today, anything that goes wrong with wheat is more important and means greater losses. That is what we are seeing. The exchange says sowing of the grains has been stuck at 65 percent due to drought that meteorologist Leonardo de Benedictis says won't let up soon. In the short term, the rain trend is still very scarce. We don't have any large precipitation events. There might be some isolated phenomenon, but in reality, we continue with the pretty dry weather pattern. In addition to upending the global grains trade, sparking food security concerns and causing sky-high inflation, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has also exacerbated the price of fertilizer, with Russia a major global supplier, impacting farmers all over the world. Aregi has seen fertilizer prices more than double compared to last year. Phosphorus is around $1,500, $1,600 the ton. Last year was $550, $600, or even $700. 
Concerns over government intervention also loom large, with authorities keen on reining in the domestic inflation of 60 percent. Argentina has kept a lower cap on wheat exports than last year, raised export tariffs on soy meal and oil, and threatened the same for wheat, though lacks congressional support to do so. A French court sentenced the primary suspect in the 2015 Paris terror attacks to life imprisonment with no possibility of early release. It's a sentence handed down only four times before in the country. Salah Abdeslam, who was born in Belgium, was found guilty on terrorism and murder charges. The 32-year-old is believed to be the only surviving member of the group that carried out the November 2015 gun and bomb rampage. The Bataclan Concert Hall, six bars and restaurants, and a sports stadium were all targeted. The attacks left 130 people dead. The man said at the start of the trial that he was a soldier of ISIS, which has claimed responsibility for the attacks. He's one of 20 people who were sentenced Wednesday in connection with the violence. Thirteen others in the courtroom were accused of crimes, such as providing the attackers with weapons or cars or planning to take part in the attacks themselves. Six more were tried, though they were not present. Abdeslam said during the trial that at the last minute he chose not to detonate his explosive vest, but the court concluded that, in fact, the vest malfunctioned. Coming up, Samsung beats out TSMC in new chip technology. Although Samsung sells far fewer chips, it may have a chance to catch up to its rival with its 3 nanometer technology. Find out more right here on NTD News. Thousands of Chinese depositors are fighting to recover their savings. Since April, at least four banks in the central province of Henan have suspended cash withdrawals. The incident involves a whopping $6 billion. Let's take a closer look. In recent days, some 100 people took to the streets to protest in China's Henan province. They gathered in front of the province's Bureau of Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission despite soaring temperatures of 104 degrees. The problem? Banks in the area aren't allowing customers to withdraw their own money. Now, the demonstrators are demanding their money back and a meeting with the head of the Banking and Insurance Regulatory Commission. One protest banner addressed the bank, saying, give me my life savings back. But protesters' efforts didn't have the intended effect. On Monday, some of them were forced into police buses and taken into custody. Some are also reportedly beaten by police, including female protesters. Inside China, public protests are generally not allowed. Demonstrators often face violence, arrest, imprisonment, or even worse. But the bank customers say they're not giving up. For many of them, the money they deposited into their accounts is virtually all they have. Some families have sick children and need the money to get surgery. Because they can't recover their money, some children already passed away. A lot of tragedies like this will happen. If we can't get our money back, we don't know how we'll survive. Chinese media reported that many of those affected had deposited money into banks through an online trading system. But that system is controlled by a company under fraud investigation. Amid all the uproar, some suspect Chinese authorities may have taken unconventional measures to stem protests. They say authorities changed people's COVID-19 health codes from green to red. The codes are part of China's contact tracing system. A green code means the user has a clean bill of health, while a red code means the user either tested positive for the infection or came in close contact with someone who did. Anyone with a red code is mandated to stay at home. Samsung says it's begun mass-producing chips with advanced 3-nanometer technology. It's the first company to do so globally. Now it's seeking new clients to catch up with far bigger rival TSMC in contract chip manufacturing. In a global first, Samsung said it's begun mass production of the most advanced microchip yet, beating chip-making frontrunner Taiwan's TMSC to the punch. For decades, these chips, which can be used as mobile processors and in high-performance computing, have become faster and more power-efficient as their most basic building blocks, called transistors, get smaller and the chips become more dense with parts. Currently, conventional chips use the 5-nanometer design. 
but Samsung said its newly developed 3 nanometer process is almost twice as power efficient and is said to improve performance by more than 20 percent. Samsung is aiming to overtake TSMC as the world's top chip maker by 2030. But for now, the Taiwanese company, whose chips are used by Apple and Qualcomm, is far bigger, controlling about 54% of the global market. Samsung is a distant second with a 16.3% market share, according to data provider Trendforce. But Samsung is hoping to lure new customers with its new tech. The South Korean firm, however, did not name clients for its new made-to-order chips. Analysts say Samsung itself and Chinese companies are expected to be among the initial customers. But amid persistent global chip shortages, companies from automakers to appliance makers will be rushing to secure capacity. The next round in the chips race might just see TSMC pull ahead. The company is planning a 2 nanometer volume production in 2025. Thousands of firearms were presented by the Peruvian police. They had been seized in control and inspection operations across the South American nation over the last three months. During a news conference, a national agency presented 4,800 firearms. They were recovered in April, May, and June, and officials said the weapons had been seized in various operations by the national police throughout the country. A deputy minister at Peru's Ministry of the Interior said the operation would help prevent the arms ending up in the hands of criminals. Violence and crime soared in Peru late last year. According to security analysts, 70,000 assaults were reported in the metropolitan region of Lima in 2021. Toxic and stinky clouds of foam flooded the streets of the Colombian city of Soacha following heavy rains the night before. Footage shows Soacha's residents waking up amid a foam cloud covering at least 30 homes as firefighters sprayed water to disperse the cloud. Authorities have not yet reported on the total number of residents affected. One resident found his kitchen flooded with foam and feared his house would collapse. Local media reported that the foam comes from a sewage gully that overflowed under a downpour. A local official says lab analysis will be done to determine whether chemicals, waste, or other substances cause the foam. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Just ahead, an exhibition of work by the Renaissance master Titian opens in Rome. The show features Nymph and Shepherd, one of the last and most significant paintings by the artist. An Armenian wine company comes up with an idea for a new museum. It explores the region's winemaking history, one that stretches over 8,000 years. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. An exhibition of work by the Renaissance master Titian opens in Rome. One of his last and most significant paintings is the focus of the show. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. This is Nymph and Shepherd, one of the last and most significant paintings by Titian. It's at the heart of the new exhibition, Titian, Dialogues of Nature and Love. Nymph and Shepherd was painted around 1575, a year before Titian's death. It's considered by some to be his greatest work. Titian would die in 1576, and therefore it is of extreme importance within his production because it is a testimony to Titian's last doing and also to Titian's last thinking. It is an allegory about life, but I would almost say about the futility of life because in the background of a nature agitated by the color of the last Titian, there is a goat devouring the last green branch of a tree that is now dry. Nymph and Shepherd sits alongside three other Titian paintings, Venus blindfolding Cupid, sacred and profane love, and a 17th century copy of the Three Ages of Man. A totally different depiction of nature is shown in sacred and profane love. The landscape in the background is full of details and vivid colors. The contrast shows how Titian changed the way he represented nature and the increasingly important role he assigned to it. In Titian's last artistic period, the landscape conquers a different space. Even before, landscape had importance. We saw it in Titian's early paintings. But after that, it has a different role. It is really the place where man, humanity, acts, and where there is a reflection of sensations more than circumstances, more than meaning, 
It becomes the place that houses man's sensations and passions. In the case of Venus blindfolding Cupid, this landscape is liberated by removing a figure initially painted in the picture. But, for example, Titian's last drawings are drawings in which the landscape has an exceptional preponderance. Titian is even known to have removed human figures from his paintings to allow more focus on landscapes. Diagnostic investigations show he painted over a female figure in Venus blindfolding Cupid, revealing more of a sunset instead. The exhibition runs from June 14th to September 18th. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. A new museum in Armenia is exploring the region's winemaking history, one that spans over 8,000 years. The earliest evidence for the origins of today's winemaking industry has been found on the border of Eastern Europe. That evidence is in pieces of broken pottery discovered in neighboring Georgia. NTD's Andrew Thomas has more. This new museum is located almost 20 miles from the capital, Yerevan, on the grounds of a winemaking company. It contains dozens of exhibits that explore the history of Armenian winemaking. The story begins with a stone bearing an ancient inscription about King Manua, who is said to have gifted vineyards to a woman named Toriri in the 8th century BC. We passed through a mysterious tunnel and ended up in the 9th century BC in the Utarian chamber. From here you can see how our King Menua gives vineyards, which he himself planted by an artificial canal, which he himself built. And now he gives these vineyards to this mysterious, beautiful woman whose name is Tariri. Elsewhere is a jug used for burial, dated to the first century BC. It was used to store wine, but after its owner's death, it became a coffin. The vessel was discovered by archaeologists containing the remains of a woman. If you come closer, you will see the skeleton of a woman here, which is buried in a clay carp in the fetal position. They buried in this way because they believed that a person after death returns to the womb of his mother to be reborn. A separate exhibit is dedicated to the connection between wine and religion. In Christianity, wine is used in the sacrament of the Eucharist. The museum contains an ancient illustrated Bible dated to the 14th century AD. It tells of the first miracle attributed to Jesus, turning water into wine. Of course, wine has a special place not only in our history, in our culture, but also in religion, in Christianity too. Not a single church event in Armenia, in the Armenian Apostolic Church, takes place without red, dry wine. An Armenia wine company was behind the idea for the museum. After doing market research, we realized that in order to sell wine, you need to create a legend. But being a historian, I soon realized that we do not need any legend, since we are in the place where winemaking can be said to have originated. Wine is an important part of Armenian culture. In 2011, a 6,000-year-old Copper Age wine factory was discovered in the southeastern part of the country. The museum opened last October. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Just ahead, Riverside Park in Manhattan is coming up with a creative solution to get rid of the invasive weeds in the park. They have invited 20 goats from a farm to eat the poison ivy. And a century-old tunnel at Niagara Falls will provide visitors with never-before-seen views of the falls. It will open to the public later this week on the Canadian side. We'll have all that and more for you after this short break. This summer, you will be able to see wildlife at Riverside Park in Manhattan. 20 goats have come from a farm in upstate New York to remove the invasive weed species at the park. It's a win-win situation for both the park and the goats. Here are the details. 20 goats from Green Goats Farm in Rhinebeck, New York, journeyed to Riverside Park in Manhattan to munch on invasive weeds. They're in here to eat invasive, a lot of poison ivy, that sort of thing. Poison ivy, um, a lot of people are allergic to. Um, and, and also, also it's, it's a little hilly, and machines don't work as well. Um, the goats are great. And they're the, probably the only animal that don't poop out fertilized pellets. It's a win-win situation for both the goats and the park. The goats have a natural hunger for leafy greens. 
and the park doesn't have to send workers to areas that are hard to access. They also don't need to dump harsh chemicals on weeds and poison ivy. Well, have you looked at the slope? It's very steep. Uh, plus the trees, you've got, you've got tree roots and such. You don't want to just destroy the trees. Uh, and, it's, it's, and it's just hard to access. Um, it's very hard to access to, to try to come in there and pull this stuff by hand. Some New Yorkers are visiting the park just to see the goats, which are a rare sight in Manhattan. It's great to see them, you know, nibbling the weeds and taking care of the park, and it's a nice sort of whole circle thing. They get what they need, and the park gets what they need, and everybody can come enjoy them. Just like the running of the bulls, we wanted to see them come out of the gate fast, which they did. Um, they were a lot bigger than we thought, so that was really fun. And yeah, they just started working right away. So it's really fun to see wildlife like this in Riverside Park. Four of the 20 goats will stay at the park through the end of summer, eating their way through two acres of the park. A century-old tunnel on the Canadian side of Niagara Falls is set to open to the public. It will provide visitors with never-before-seen views of the falls. Let's take a look. The tunnel stretches out from the Niagara Parks Power Station, which was the first major power plant at Niagara Falls. The tunnel provides visitors with a unique viewing platform of the falls. And this is a 2,200-foot-long tunnel, so the guests will take a glass-enclosed elevator down 180 feet. Uh, down to the bottom into the wheel pit and then out the tunnel and into a brand new viewing platform which extends 65 feet out into the Niagara River and they're going to get spectacular new views of Niagara Falls. For about a century, Canada's Niagara Power Company had generated electricity at this site using its massive turbines and engineering marvels. Today, it is a unique interactive experience where visitors can learn about the history of the site. So back in 1905, uh, the first hydroelectric power plant opened on the Canadian side of the Niagara River. And this was a way of harnessing uh, something new uh, and creating something new called electricity or hydroelectricity. And it led to the industrialization of southern Ontario, western New York. Uh, and today we've done the adaptive reuse of this uh, industrial heritage site. So we have an attraction with the generator hall floor and, and uh, this weekend, July 1st, uh, moving forward, we've opened the tunnel, which sort of completes the, piece, the, the last piece of the puzzle, if you will, to tell you how the whole power station worked. The site opens officially to the public on Friday, July 1st. Next up, we have today's health segment. Have you ever had stomach pain during a morning meeting or on your commute? Well, there are some things you can do to help avoid it in the future. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. Certain foods can definitely cause your belly to act up. By knowing which breakfasts to eat for better digestion, you'll go into your office feeling comfortable, confident and at ease. Having poor digestion may mean that vital nutrients from your food won't be properly absorbed. This can lead to abnormal bowel movements and bloating. These physical symptoms can interfere with your mood and your ability to be motivated and alert. Starting your day on a positive note with the right breakfast will allow you to feel your best. Let's look at three good breakfast options. Number one, yogurt. Research shows that the protein in yogurt like Greek yogurt keeps you feeling full longer after breakfast. The probiotics in yogurt supports good digestive health. It's an all around breakfast winner. You can top Greek yogurt with other digestion friendly foods like chia seeds and fruit. You can also drink your yogurt breakfast smoothies or add in fresh produce like sweet potatoes to make a savory yogurt parfait. Number two, healthy fats. Certain healthy fats improve digestion and can promote good gut flora to boost immunity and bodily functions. One you might want to try is coconut oil. It's a super versatile ingredient that can be incorporated into a smoothie, spread on toast or spooned on a yogurt or oatmeal bowl. For smoothies, add some healthy fats such as raw almond butter or half an avocado. It will keep you satiated and add creaminess to the smoothie. Number three is oatmeal. Breakfast oatmeal is great for digestive health as it's easy on the stomach and supplies a nice source of complex carbs and fiber. This is good for sustainable energy and a balanced mood. Adding even more fiber-filled ingredients to oatmeal will also increase digestive health. Blackberries and raspberries will add a boost of fiber. 
Other high fibre breakfast options would be 100% whole grain cereals such as shredded wheat. You can also add a spoonful of ground flaxseed to your oatmeal or breakfast smoothie for additional fibre as well as omega-3 fatty acids. Air New Zealand may soon be offering beds to economy class passengers. The carrier has unveiled its SkyNest idea, which has six full-sized sleeping pods for travelers on its upcoming Boeing 787 Dreamliners. These planes are expected to make their debut in 2024. The pods will be stacked like bunk beds and come with features including a pillow, bedding, and a ventilation outlet. After each flight, the bedding will be changed. This could come in handy as Air New Zealand does have some of the lengthiest flights in the world. Later this year, the carrier will start a non-stop flight from Auckland to New York with a flight time of 17 hours. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.